And welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin. With me in the studio is Noah Fleischman. So Noah, the week that I think a lot of people around the JMU program have been waiting for for a long time, uh, fans especially, is here. Uh, we're going to be in Charlottesville on Saturday for the Dukes heading over to play UVA for the first time in 40 years. Um JMU going over as a, a touchdown favorite in this one, but with uh, some question marks that maybe they didn't expect to have uh, going into week two. After seeing JMU play Bucknell a week ago, what were your biggest takeaways and what are your biggest thoughts about JMU heading to UVA after seeing them play a game with mixed results? Yeah, I think, you know, JMU was a 46 and a half point favorite last week. They, they, you know, score 38. You get close to covering. You're, you know, t- two touchdowns away from covering, so it's not terrible. Um, I think people had high expectations going into week one, right? You know, JMU coming off of the year they had last year, 8-3, and three, top 25 at one point. Come in thinking Bucknell team that hasn't had a winning year since 2014, 3-9 and nine or 3-80 a year ago. And what happens is, you know, Rocky first half at 17-3 at halftime. And people are like, wow, like, what's going on? Lonzo Burnett wasn't his best game. You know, three for 11 for 15 yards, a rushing touchdown and an interception. I think things turned around in the second half. I mean, obviously, they, they left him in for two more drives to see if he could, you know, make something happen. But at the same time, they weren't, you know, we can talk about it later. And They weren't really calling plays that were really, I mean, I don't know. Do you think they would be able to set up a little more, a couple more check down plays, get them in the rhythm? They did it twice in a row, but after that, they kind of didn't. They called run plays the whole second half while he was in the game. And, yeah, I mean, they called it basically a yip so that a golfer has, right? is what it is i mean you can you can work through that but you know jordan mcleod comes in and, and plays well not his best either i mean seven for 11 signetti thought he left two touchdowns on the field you know one or two if he just makes the read or stays in the pocket uh, but he still goes seven for 11 for 144 and two touchdowns so you know he looked pretty good and then you know um overall they, they played well defense looked a lot better in the second half four yards allowed total in the second half after allowing 204 in the first so that looks more on par with the JMU defense. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, people had high expectations. JMU never was in doubt in that game. By the reactions that people have on Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it these days, you'd think that JMU was losing at the half just because people are thinking they should have been up 50 to nothing by then. But, you know, I don't think it was the worst showing that JMU could have had. Obviously not the best, but I think it's, you know, an average showing against an FCS team. Yeah, <clears throat> and, I mean, we joked – Privately going into that game, you know, we were talking things like, you know, how many plays from scrimmage before they scored the first touchdown, things like that. And the offense definitely wasn't clicking like that <clears throat> immediately after taking the field, um, really not until the second half, um, which, as you said, we'll get into all that with the quarterbacks in a little bit. But just overall, I think, you know, you hit on it. The defense in the second half was as dominant as you would expect in a game like that. Um, Kurt Signetti said, you know, basically they kind of just, you know, started playing it straight up in the second half, using their overwhelming athleticism to dominate a FCS team that shouldn't be able to compete with JMU physically. Um, They didn't let them do it in the second half. Probably a different story this week against a Virginia team that should be able to match up with JMU athletically. Um, in a lot of spots, <clears throat> is <clears throat> is that in itself a concern that, you know, not that JMU had to, like, get down to basics to 
handle Bucknell, but just that it's going to be a completely different situation, not just this week, but for the next several weeks. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a concern. I think, you know, he, he talked about it a little bit, you know, on Tuesday, Signetti did, you know, basically trading Bucknell as a third scrimmage, right? He kind of talked mm-hmm. about how they went into the game planning all spring, all fall camp of, you know, Bucknell's first game. I think that they worked some kinks out that if you're not playing Bucknell week one, if you're playing Middle Tennessee like a year ago, you probably would have had it worked out by then a little bit more. But they worked them out, especially defensively, right? We saw mm-hmm. night and day change. I don't think we'll see a problem this time around on defense. Just because, you know, that is Jamie's strongest part of the team. You know, it was a year ago. It's going to probably be this year just because of, you know, what they're going to have to do in offense. But I don't see it being a concern, especially on defense. I mean, UVA, you look on the other side of the ball, their offense is struggling. Their offensive line did not look great against Tennessee. Quarterback is a question mark for them as well. So, I mean, for as many question marks that JMU has going in, UVA probably has equally an amount. Yeah, I would say the only concern to talk about on defense at this point would be the depth on the defensive line when you lose Abby, um, obviously that hurts. You asked Kurt about this um, on Tuesday too. It's, you know, is it meaningful that you've got, you know, basically your starting defensive end also listed as your backup defensive end on the other side. And then and you have your starting three tech yeah. listed as a backup defensive end. Yeah. Um, is that concerning? It's not necessarily unusual at JMU. If you even can go back a few years, it seems like, you know, maybe, um, Maybe they're they're willing to kind of you know list it that way because they would rather make the switch among those top tier guys than just have like you know somebody else yeah. you know but but there I mean definitely you have to wonder what happens if there are further injuries along the defensive line you know especially you're talking about you know I don't think we mentioned him by name but you know Macal Kamara is the guy we're talking about being listed twice on the depth chart. He's got his own injury history. Um, you know, he had trouble staying on the field last year. Um, when you look at that, how big of that concern is that? Because talent-wise, I think JMU, you know, if we're talking just of the first-string talent, I think JMU's defensive line is an advantage over UVA's offensive line. But, you know, the injuries and the depth, I think, have to be, like, a little bit of a concern right now. Yeah, I think, you know, their the depth, their talent is there, yes. I mean, I think the depth is probably – I asked him straight up, is it a concern? And he kind of, you know, didn't really mm-hmm. answer the question. But, you know, Mikhail Kamara, yes, he missed time last year, um, but I think he'll be okay. I think, you know, he played five games last year, starred in all five games this year. He's got, what, two and a half tackles for a loss through one game. Yeah. I think, you know, he stays on the field. It's, it's, he's probably one of the better players in the defensive line. I mean, their mm-hmm. best player on the team is James Carpenter probably right now if you look at it, but I think, you know, that D-line is – where a lot of the strength comes from. And yeah. I think that he'll be fine. And then, you know, when you look around, like, who are you looking for this depth that's not on the depth chart? A guy like Amar Thomas probably pops up to your name. Didn't play much last year. He can cycle in at defensive end. There's a couple other guys, too, that can kind of probably make an impact there. Uh, but, yeah, losing Abby's a big, big hurt just on your depth piece because, you know, former Minnesota transfer, and he can, he can play. And he's got, you know, calves the size of my whole body. I think, you know, the, he can just fire off the line as quick as possible. So it's a shame they lost him for the year, but I think they'll be okay as long as everyone stays relatively healthy. They can lose one more and I think be decently fine. If they, if they lose two more defensive ends, I think it's time to panic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you mentioned the depth chart and not changing it up a lot. I think, you know, one thing we've certainly learned over the years is that with Kurt Signetti, the depth chart that's released is not – 
canon. Um, you know, there's possibility yeah. he just didn't want to put a name that UVA hadn't thought of on there. Um, True. You know, there's a possibility that I think also too. Sometimes you want to make a young guy earn his name on that spot, right? You don't yeah. want to list him there, but if he if if, if Amar Thomas goes out to UVA and gets a sack and a half, I think his name will pop up on the depth chart next week. Yeah, d- d- true, true, and you know, I think also, I think it's also just a signal that, hey, we're gonna put our best people on the field, yeah. and we'll find the spot for them. I mean, he already Rather, said this. You year. know, we're not necessarily gonna put the guy who's the second defensive end in just because he's the second defensive end when we can like switch it up and just have our our four best linemen on the field somewhere yeah um and i think that's you know definitely part of the philosophy around it with uh with jmu because some of those guys are pretty and interchangeable too i I mean mean, john mccoma can play the entire line yeah he's the guy who's listed at a backup defensive end he yes he's the starting tackle right now but he can play on the end he probably will play on the end this weekend yeah wouldn't be surprised to see him slide out to the end bringing tyreek tucker to play next to james carpenter you're probably looking fine. I mean, if you just lined those guys up on <laughs> the field, like in without pads, and said, "Who's the defensive end? Who's the defensive tackle?" You would switch Chroma and yep. Kamara just by the looks <laughs> of them. So, like, I, th- I think you know they're they're fairly interchangeable and they're like, super athletic. Kind of, yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, we'll, we'll move on to the offense. I think you know defensively. I think as we mentioned, JMU is got to be feeling pretty comfortable about where they are um, offensively. You know, the, the number one topic of conversation after the game was the quarterback situation. Alonzo Barnett gets his first start. Um, and for a guy that, you know, so much talk about, you know, where he was mentally, how comfortable he was, what kind of leader he was, like he said, um, appeared to be yips, nerves, however you want to term it. Um, a guy who we know has been capable of making routine throws looked incapable of making routine throws. And there's just, you know, try to figure out the explanation for that. Don't know for sure, but they go with, they go with Alonzo Barnett in the second half. Um, well, basically midway through the, uh, McLeod, you talking about? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Jordan McLeod, they make the switch, um, in the middle of the third quarter and McLeod certainly looks better than Barnett did. Um, I still, there were still some things that probably, you know, kept it from being a perfect game, as you mentioned. Um, but you're going into a situation where a guy who didn't impress you enough to win the job, even though he was probably the favorite coming into spring ball, mm-hmm. um, doesn't impress you enough to win the job. You're going out there into a big game with him. I think the big question is, okay, what if he struggles in the first half on Saturday? Are you just going to be switching back and forth? Um, do you go back to the guy you originally thought was the guy? Um, you know, maybe he won't struggle on Saturday. Maybe, you know, maybe he's a gamer and this is all settled and, you know, we saw what we're going to see out of these two guys. But I just think if you go to Charlottesville on Saturday and um, Jordan has any kinds of struggles at all, then you're opening up the question of, like, what are we doing at quarterback? Yeah, I've got, I've got three, three different things for you. One – probably gonna run the ball a lot so it yeah. won't really put the ball in the hand of the quarterback much two you could go back to alonzo barnett and let him do his thing i do think there may be a package for him i don't know this isn't speaking inside information but when he's a guy that's that dynamic as a runner jordan's not as much of a runner as alonzo barnett is if there's a possibility we see them both on the field together i wouldn't write that out we haven't seen him jamie do that recently but if you want to 
get a little trick play going or, you know, a little wildcat or just have him run a, a you know, a couple plays, just keep his confidence up and get him on the field. And he already burned his red shirt, so you don't have to worry about that. So you may as well, you know, use him. And option three, which nobody's talked about, if he struggles, McLeod, I'm saying, what's stopping JMU from playing Billy Atkins? You know what you're going to get. He has arguably the best arm talent on the team. You know he's he's been in the moment. He's already gone through a game where he struggles. A struggle is not going to, I think, phase him at this point, if it happens. He also may have learned from that Marshall game a year ago. There's also there's that, right? You could just throw him in there and see what happens. If McLeod struggles and you're not confident in, in Barnett throwing the ball yet, Billy can throw the ball. We've seen him yeah. make throws. It's just some of his decision-making is not there. And he may have learned over the past year. They, they've they talked about it. he made one of the you know biggest strides over the summer. Um, he's listed on, you know, not on the depth chart. He's probably quarterback 3-4, however you want to put it, with Brett Griffiths. But I know people might think this sounds crazy. I think it's a really legitimate option if you're a struggling quarterback and you're not comfortable with Alonzo Barnett throwing the ball, then your next best option is, is putting Billy Atkins out there who he's started before, he's come in games before. Yes, they haven't been pretty. But if if everyone's struggling, that might be your best option. It, that's a possibility. I mean, the only thing I would say about that is he's clearly been number four going into the season. He wasn't even on the field. He didn't. He was the one he, quarterback he has who didn't play. He has experience in, in not playing during the week and playing in the game. That's true. He yeah. did that against Marshall. He, they, yeah. Todd, he was a game-time decision, and they found out on, what, Thursday night that he was hurt and he might mm-hmm. not play. So, what, he had a walkthrough, which isn't much. And, yeah, I mean, so – He's been in this kind of situation before in the way of not getting many practice reps and all of a sudden getting thrown in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you're if you're JMU, what you've got to hope for right now is that um, Jordan McLeod is serviceable. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily expecting him to go out and throw for 300 yards, um, three touchdowns on Saturday. But, I mean, you think you want to see him limit mistakes and make the passing game an option. Yeah. Um, you know, this – that's been the biggest thing is on, on the rare occasions where JMU has had quarterback issues with Signetti, which was last Saturday, and it was the Marshall game that you mentioned um, where Todd Sateo was really a game-time decision. Um, both of those times when the quarterback, when the young quarterback struggled early, he completely went away from the passing game, had no confidence in throwing the ball at all. And as you mentioned there at one point the idea of just letting him throw some swing passes and some stuff you know just to get into a rhythm and like i said they did it twice on saturday and didn't it worked didn't go, but yeah and, and he you know completed a couple passes like maybe you would think would have felt a little more comfortable after just seeing a couple like catches yeah um but then the second half didn't let him throw the ball they put him out there but didn't let him throw the ball i i I wonder about that it's one of decision. Those, it's of, one of those things where if you watch when McLeod came in the game, play calling got a little more simple. Mm-hmm. His first pass was, what, a five-yard pass to Zach Horton who turned off yeah. field. Don't know where that was. You know, right? Maybe they yeah. caught it with Barnett. He was just going on a different read. But yeah. some of the play calls that, that McLeod got were a little more you know simple, not as complex, not you know many deep balls. He did have a perfect deep ball when he had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, he also – was looking downfield at one point for Marion Dawson, stared him down though, and he was covered for days. But yeah, I think that that's that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think swing passes might help a little bit. But I do think at UVA, 
it'll be a healthy run game. Yeah. You've got three health top three running backs are healthy. Yeah. Solomon's out. But I mean you you know, when you can rock with Kalon Black, Latrell Palmer, Tyson Lawton, I think you're feeling pretty good and, and basically I think if I were Mike Shanahan, I dare UVA to stop the run. They've got a good D line, but make them stop you and then throw the ball. Yeah, I, I anticipate JMU being heavy on the run. But I mean the biggest issue for me though is that anytime there's been quarterback struggles, they've gone yeah. completely one dimensional and they do. They and he, he gives up fairly quickly. Yeah. Um and you know, when you're completely one dimensional, you're making it hard on your running backs, your offensive line, everything else. And yeah. whether you can figure something out if it's not throwing it twenty yards down the field, I think you have to have like some sort of option. Like you know, even if you don't think you're gonna complete a deep pass, just the threat of like throwing it once or twice adds something. Um Yeah, I mean, and that's we saw it a little bit in that game. What was it? They had first and goal, ran the ball four times, mm-hmm. didn't get past the f- two or three yard line. I think that's when you show your two one dimensional. Because hey, if you throw the ball on first down or second down, yeah, they got to play the run. They got to play both. Yeah, and Alonzo obviously he had the two passes in the end zone that he overthrew. Yep. Um, that either one could have easily been a touchdown. Like the ex- Hudson was the, wide the execution was there with everything but the pass. Um, the decision was great. Yeah. Um, but th- to me, though, like, you know the guy can make that throw. Yeah. Like, give him another chance to make that throw in a game that you know you're going to win. Yeah. Um, Let him work through it a That, little. to me, like, was probably the biggest um, – might be my biggest criticism of how JMU handled the situation last Saturday. And so it just leads me to really wonder how they end up handling it this Saturday if – one or both quarterbacks struggle at all. Um, you know, that's the one thing about having a competition, having it close, having multiple guys who can play the position, and it goes for any position, is, you know, you can feel good about the next guy up. But at that quarterback spot, you want to have some sort of continuity and you want to know who the guy is. And I think just bouncing back and forth is going to be a tough, a tough road to hoe if that's what Jamie ends up having to do here. Yeah, I think you're going to stick with one, right? I think you're going to stick with one as long as you can. Yeah. If if Jordan McCullough struggles against Virginia, there's part of me that thinks they just let him ride because they believe in Alonzo Barnett long-term. You talk, mm-hmm. you hear from Kersignetti. We've asked, I asked him after the game about is Jordan McCullough the starter, and he asked me, you know, do you think he is? And then he followed it up with, you know, talking about Alonzo Barnett. This week, same thing. Gets asked about McLeod, brings up Barnett again. Barnett's going to play this year. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen at some point. I think at this point, if McLeod struggles, you probably ride him out that game and make a change during the week if you're going to make the change. Yeah. It's worth noting that the way Signetti talked about Barnett after struggling in a game was different than the way he talked about Billy Atkins last year with yeah. similar struggles in his first start. Um, you know, in that case, it was, you know, he really called billy out for not preparing in practice the way he should um, yeah and and it, kind of ironically jordan mcleod doesn't practice well yeah i mean <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because you know this week he did make a point to say that um you know jordan mcleod has played better in scrimmages and in the game than he has in practice um some guys are just like that i guess and that's got to be a little bit frustrating if you're 
a coach and you, you know, especially a perfectionist the way <laughs> Signetti and, you know, most of his staff are, um, you know, you want to see guys practice uh, better than with, the game. with the mindset that they have. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the reason Barnett won the job Yeah, is because he was by far the best guy in practice. Um, it makes it kind of tough to judge if, uh, <laughs> if a guy is significantly better in other situations than he is in practice. Yeah, it is. But uh, I, I would assume we're going to see Jordan McLeod for all 60 minutes this weekend. I think we, we could see a little, little package for Lonnie Burnett, but I don't mm-hmm. think we'll see anything consistent this week. I mean, walking into a big arena, as Sir Signetti has mentioned this game. And here's another thing you point out here. The next three, four weeks are just tough, right? Mm-hmm. You got UVA, Troy, Utah State, South Al at home. South Alabama didn't look too great this past weekend, but beside the point. If this stretch doesn't go well for JMU with McLeod at starter, mm. I see a scenario where after South Alabama, Barnett comes back as a starter. You let him ride the rest of the year. You let him learn because yeah. next year is the point where they can eligible for everything full time. So, say this stretch, this this four week stretch, they go one three. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm just saying hypothetically. I see a, a factor where after that South Alabama game, Barnett's the guy the rest of the year, and they they ride him out. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've talked in depth about you know Jamie's quarterback. We can switch it over to UVA because as you mentioned before, you know they're in, um, you know not not the same situation because we're ta- they're talking about injury, but not knowing exactly who their guy is going to be. Is JMU or sorry, is UVA as concerned about quarterback right now as uh, JMU is? I think so. Tony Musket's their guy. He's started before. He's not going to basically practice all week. It sounds like, but he's a game time decision. Anthony Calandria, true freshman quarterback, mm-hmm. who played a little bit against Tennessee, but the game was over. It didn't really matter what happened in that. Putting that in the series he played, but here's the situation you walk into: fifty plus thousand at home. It's going to be an emotional game for for UVA. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those guys were on the team last year when the tragedy occurred. But it's still a very emotional game for the entire program as a whole. So if you're starting a true freshman, his first career start in an environment like that, it may not be conducive, right, if, if it's pressure and things like that build up. Yeah. So I think UVA is in a similar spot where, you know, if you true freshman, don't know what you're going to get. Musk gets hurt, kind of non-throwing shoulder. He might try to play. But if he gets hurt again, then you're going to have to put the freshman in anyway, right? So it kind of weigh your options there. But, yeah, I think it's a question mark. If you play a true freshman against JMU, which JMU is coming in the favorite. UVA doesn't want to lose at home to JMU no matter what the circumstances are. This definitely doesn't, you know, help that case. And, yeah, I think, you know, JMU doesn't want to – I mean, UVA doesn't want to be shown up by – Little old JMU, as some people look at the Madison, and yeah. we'll see how it goes. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, recruiting rankings obviously aren't everything. No, <laughs> but when you're talking about a true freshman coming in, this isn't the five-star guy who chose JMU over Clemson and Florida State. UVA. Yeah, sorry, UVA <laughs> over Clemson and Florida State. Um, you know, that was obviously always going to be the you know the heir apparent guy everybody's been waiting for. I mean, you look at him he's a three-star um his offer list is similar to alonzo barnett coming into jmu like or similar to yeah. uh mendoza coming next year yeah i mean um so you know we're talking about an acc team but just 
talent wise, you know, especially at the quarterback position, um, you know, we're talking about how much concern there is for JMU at quarterback. JMU's got the most experienced, highest regarded recruited quarterback on the field tomorrow on either side or on Saturday. Um, you know, and JMU's the one that we're talking about having like, you know, major, major concerns of a quarterback. Um, you know, UVA's kind of had those concerns all through the off season, uh, bringing in a guy from Monmouth who was good at Monmouth, but not great. Yeah. Uh, and not, you know, certainly not the best FCS quarterback in the nation by any means, like making that jump. Um, so even if they had a healthy musket, I think, you know, that's an area where JMU might've been kind of, you know, licking their chops saying, let's get after this guy put some hits on this guy and see how he responds i think if he plays they're still going to try to put some hits on yeah him. but either either quarterback i think that's you know what they're what jmu's like mindset has got to be is like we're going to make it tough on this guy we're going to not let him have any fun out here and just see if he can respond to that um as we talked about you know jmu's defensive line though thin they have a knack for you know getting after guys you know Small but speedy up front is the you know way JMU's defense has been for for several years and probably a decent combination when you're looking at just the overall situation with um with UVA's offense where they're probably going to want to try to run the ball a lot too and you want to make them pay when they do decide to throw. Yeah, it's going to be very similar. I think it's going to be a, a slog of a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, both teams are going to run the ball. I mean, seventeen fourteen seems like a pretty good score. When when yeah. you think about both teams, you're just going to run the the crap out of the ball and let's see what happens. I don't think either quarterback throws for more than 200 yards. When you when you do it like that, I mean, it's going to happen. I think you take 144 yards and two touchdowns so from, from uh, Jordan McLeod again if that happens. But, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely think running the ball is going to be both teams' best friend here as we uh, get set for Saturday afternoon. High noon kickoff, so. Yeah. When we talked about the anticipation for JMU, JMU fans, they've been waiting yep. 40 years, or you know, if you haven't been alive for 40 years, you've been waiting your whole life. Yeah, for, it has for not had this, ha- this matchup um, has not happened in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean, barely in my lifetime, and I, I'm getting up there, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, it's it's something that JMU fans, you know, they love playing Virginia, they love playing Virginia Tech in any sport, and it's happened very rarely in football. What do you anticipate atmosphere-wise on what – if it wasn't for the outside thing of the tragedy that happened at, JV, or at UVA last year, um, this being the first game at Scott Stadium since then, they're going to have a ceremony. Both teams are going to wear, you know, patches and stickers and, you know, ribbons for fans and everything. There's going to be a little bit of that – I don't want to say bringing it down, but it changes the mood pregame a little bit where otherwise I think it could have been pretty feisty around, you know, the tailgates and fans getting into the stadium and everything else um, about that time. But I still think it's going to be quite a charged atmosphere once, you know, probably for those hours leading up to that ceremony. And then once the ball's kicked off, I think it's going to be a pretty charged um, emotionally charged, maybe more in the stands than on the field, type of uh, atmosphere than maybe uh, Jamie you've seen in a while. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be as hostile as maybe some people think. Like, you know, for the JMU fans going in there and being like, this is, you know, Bridgeport mm-hmm. East. They might claim that at the end of the game. Yeah. We'll see. But, yeah, I definitely think that the, uh, you know, tragedy, people want to be respectful about that. I mean, you've got to be. It's something that's <laughs> bigger than sports, bigger than everything, right? It's, it's something that shouldn't have happened. Um, so I think people will be respectful in that. But, yeah, I think when the game gets kicked off, you'll hear the JMU fans get loud when when – you know they score when they're on defense the you know some of the mrds will be there you know i think 200 and something will be there and mm-hmm. um it, it'll be good environment i think you know it's gonna be close to a sellout crowd by the you know it's 60,000 person stadium they're expecting more than 50,000 so it's gonna be pretty full stadium yeah which is good to see people were wondering how many jamie fans show up maybe you're at 15,000 you're gonna hear them if there's yeah. 15,000 Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be between ten and 15,000 JMU fans because of the location of, of Charlottesville and, and the accessibility to, to get to the game from yeah. Richmond and Northern Virginia and Harrisonburg. It's, it's pretty centrally located, you know, when you think about the three major areas that JMU alums live, Charlottesville, Richmond, Northern Virginia. So I think I think that helps out a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think it'll be a little bit subdued. Maybe the first quarter right after the, you know, the ceremonies at 1130 kickoff at noon. But after that, I think, you know, by the third quarter, it'll, it'll be a very, very uh, enthusiastic crowd both ways. I think, mm-hmm. you fans will be into it. UVA fans will be into it. And as long as it's a close game, I think it'll be a really, really good environment. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're JMU, if you're the the players and coaches, you got to be thinking about, like, if we get off to a good start, like, our fans can kind of take over this place. Like, you know, whether it's, some of the UVA fans leaving if you get off to a good start or just kind of losing their edge and JMU fans like getting really into it. Um, you know, we saw the one game I keep thinking about from last year. It's been a while since JMU's played in this type of situation. But the one thing I th- think about is maybe the closest comparison was when they went down to App State last year um, in a full stadium and a good number of JMU fans there. Yeah. And Probably what? I would estimate like 5,000. 5,000, yeah. And, you know, that's the other side of this. It's, they take 5,000 to App State for, you know, basically buying all the tickets that they can get their hands on for that game. You know, you got to expect two to three times more. And the, the Charlottesville. You have the marching band there, too. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to expect, you know, that much more um, of a crowd for that game. If they, if they take 10,000 to Frisco for the. You know, FCS championship game, you got to expect at least that many coming to Charlottesville. When it's, and that's on short notice. Yeah. And that's a flight and a hotel. This is, yes, people this is, might need a hotel, but this is a car drive. I mean, it's the same, it's the same amount of effort as a home game yep. for, for most of the JMU fans uh, outside of the students. I mean, I think that's like the biggest question. If I had been uh, Jeff Bourne when, uh, when um, UVA put tickets on sale for $10 on um, Memorial Day weekend, I'd have been tempted to buy like five thousand of those and then just give them to students and send them over there. Like it's, <laughs> I think it's interesting. I think they may have just taken the approach of let's send the band instead of send a bus to students, yeah. which is probably what happened. I mean, that is technically a bus full of students. And I, of I bet a lot of students end up going over too anyway because yeah. it's you know it's it's not far. It's yeah, you know less. There than were hour. there were ten dollar tickets available at some point, or you go with your parents and then you end up staying and uh, partying with friends who go to UVA later on. And you know maybe have something to brag about the rest of the night. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a good environment though, and good atmosphere. It's on the ESPNU, so national television. Yeah. It's good recruiting. Kurt Signetti didn't want to comment on recruiting impact when he's asked about it various times this week. 
but it definitely is something on their minds. If yeah. if JMU goes in the Charlottesville, wins, it would be a good thing for JMU's recruiting staff, coaching staff. They're probably going to find every UVA commit they can find yeah. from the state of Virginia and in their recruiting footprint, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. Go talk to them Be like, and just send them a box score. Yeah. And they're going to recruit this heavily if, if JMU wins. And I, you know, go back to the App State game again. I think it's the most comparable yeah. situation. Um, they win that game. How quickly did they have that graphic out? How quickly were they getting that graphic of the, like, you know, owning the mountains? Like, they had two graphics. They, they had one that got put up right after the whistle blew at the end of the game. You know, it was like the own the mountain. But. Kurt Signetti had his own graphic mm-hmm. that he put up in the locker room. That's what I'm saying. Those were going yeah. out. To they they were ready to go. The recruits like immediately. Yeah, and I you will see a similar situation. They're already probably making. Yeah, I mean, but I'm just saying like, and uh, you know, GJ Kenny at Texas State talked about this on his call this week after beating Baylor, winning that big in-state Power Five yep. game. They were on the phone with five-star Texas recruits like immediately talking to those guys about what they're doing there and what they're building there. Um, it will be a very similar situation if JMU wins this game. Like I, the recruiting will happen. I probably before they talk to us, they will be talking to recruits. They'll but, be texting it, yeah. especially the position coaches will be well, while Signetti's in the press conference room, position coaches yeah. will be on their phones, texting, calling recruits. And especially on Sunday, they, they might be in touch with guys who were on the Virginia sideline on visits this week. Like, We've seen, I, mean, yeah. I think, you know, somebody put out a clip, uh, JMU Richmond from like years ago, but JMU returns a punt for a touchdown with like ten seconds left and wins. Multiple guys said they were there as Richmond recruits mm-hmm. and committed to JMU and, and obviously played JMU. So maybe something like that. When you're yeah. playing an in-state foe, there's some positives and negatives. Especially if you lose, there's a lot of negatives. Your kids will get recruited by the team that wins. It's just <laughs> just what's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think that's probably going to just about do it for us this week. Uh, we can get into some more of the other fall sports who are having. Qu- quite a bit of success so far yeah. this season but you know this time we need to focus completely on the uh, we can make one JMU. note jamie men's soccer is ranked number eight in the country as of yes. today they did tie with gardner webb so they if yeah. they don't win their next game handily they'll probably fall in the rankings but it's what it is yeah but yes a top 10 team two fall sports teams getting votes in their major polls um everybody i think with um well i mean women's soccer i guess they don't have a winning record right now no but everybody everybody uh doing quite well and we'll we'll dive more into that uh in the coming weeks but in the meantime you know highly anticipated trip to charlottesville on saturday uh we'll have more plenty of content following that so check dnronline.com uh but you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. As always, I'm Shane Metlin, been in the studio with Noah Fleischman, and thank you for listening.